0: We have talked on the show about the decision by the Dr. Seuss estate to discontinue six of his books that feature racist imagery. What do you think of that decision and about the cancel culture surrounding works of art or artists that are controversial?
1: Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because uh, I, I just... Um, for the Seuss Foundation, voiced did a voiceover uh, for um, a video that they have put together to remind us that Dr. Seuss is more than simply a company that's decided to put a couple of books on the shelf, to take them out of rotation, the, the, that, that that man, Theodor Geisel, is responsible for generations of wholesome healthy wonderful imaginative creative content for children of all ages and 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 so I, I think we need to put things in perspective um, in terms of cancel culture I I, I, I I think it's misnamed. That's a misnomer. I think we have a consequence culture um, and that consequences are finally encompassing everybody in the society, whereas um, they haven't been uh, ever in this country. So um, I think I think that there, there are good signs that are happening in the culture right now. And I think it has everything to do with a new awareness on people who were simply unaware of the tr- real nature of life in this country for people who have been othered since this nation began. Producer Uh,
2: Bo, (laughs)
3: man in the booth. Producer Bo
2: just just for an episode how about not doing both things all the time um <laughs> is kind of the idea
0: it's a novel so, concept right
2: you know <laughs> like i'm I, I i swear to god i should have taken up juggling instead it would have been easier um all right so uh if you guys are cool away we go
3: we go.
2: all right hey everybody this is Bo. i will be the black uh, glowing orb on your screen for a moment. Welcome to the Psychosomatic Podcast with your host, Darren. Welcome.
4: Thank you for dealing with all of this technical stuff. I just tend to hit things with rocks in my garage, so I managed to plug in my microphone over a hundred times. But officially, this is one hundredth episode of the Psychosomatic Podcast. Welcome, everybody. I'm going to introduce the hosts here in a second, but I had to say thank you, Bo, for doing this, and, you know, it really is reducing a lot of my stress leading up to this episode. And, yeah. So, did you need to say anything, Bo, before I continue to babble on as I do?
2: Nah, man. I am, uh, I am ready to rock and or roll. I'm here to uh, monitor chat and to provide any uh, additional support as needed by host and guests. I'm merely here in an observatory role, much like the United States in Vietnam.
4: (laughs) It was a tie. Okay, so I'm going to introduce the people that I'm going to have with me on the episode more regularly than our man in the booth, our glowing black orb, Beau Ransdell. But so I just wanted to say real quick, thank you, everybody, for being here for the first time. Thank you for being here for the hundredth time. We are going to do something that was a request to talk about, actually by one of my co-chatters today, Uh, but it was something that the other one was with me way, way back on episode 25, keeping it uh, divisible. We're not that prime number yet. And uh, it is, it's, it's been an evolving topic, but it's something that everybody talks about. I feel like even on the podcast that say they don't like to talk about it, they bring it up in their own ways. We are talking about consequence culture, cancel culture, art versus artist, and where everybody lands on it. I, I feel like everybody's got something to say about it anyway, so why don't we? And returning... From back on episode 25, I cannot remember yet if if she was my, if I was her co-host on the VD Clinic podcast, but she was already definitely the host of the VD Clinic podcast, Vanessa McHenry.
0: Hi, how are you?
4: I'm doing okay. Are you awake? It's still kind of early.
0: Um, Yes, I am caffeinated. Thank you for checking. (laughs) But actually, I was with you first on an earlier episode yes brooklyn bringing the police as usual um
4: as they chime and, in the and
0: yeah always have to but no central park five is the first time i appeared on here but about this kind of subject might have been episode 25
4: episode 25 was the hollywood sex pests, Me Too okay. movement uh weinstein had just got started to go down conversation that was you me i believe doug tilly and Mm -hmm. possibly misty and misty so that was then yes the central park five should have been episode five but that was episode seven uh you know if i ever came up with a thought out theme or planned ahead that much it should have been episode five but (laughs) so thank you for coming back and thank you for live fact-checking me or making sure that I at least elaborate and, and explain why I am accurate in what I'm saying. <laughs> Somebody, a voice you've heard before on the show, but she was not there at that time for either of those episodes. It was sort of in a conversation that you and I, Heather, from the Friday Nightmares podcast and the Slumper Party Massacres podcast and... C- cards down controllers up i'm gonna fuck that up yeah
3: you were close enough
4: it's it's fine
2: yeah, so re- reversing again fact checking real time <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> controllers up cards down
4: mm. so there's that and here she is heather welcome welcome back to the show
3: oh my goodness uh thank you so much for having me i absolutely adore you two not only do you think you're awesome human beings And I'm extremely excited to be part of this liberal echo chamber because I'm liberal and I'm socialist and I make no apologies for it. So that's how this shit's going down. Um, But I think Vanessa is one of the most well-spoken individuals I've ever heard. She's heard me say this to her several times privately. And I think, unfortunately, when it comes to women in horror, there's few of us. And she stands out as, I think, one of the best, if not the best female podcaster. So I'm really excited to work with Vanessa Um, I think she's very intelligent and it's, and I'm really looking forward to the conversation and Darren you wow me all the time with your knowledge. Um, You're probably the most informed human being that I've ever met I don't even watch news anymore I just talk to you. because (laughs) (laughs) I need to know her. So I I don't even need the news so I'm just really excited to be here for this conversation I do have a lot to share. and I, and I have a big struggle with the topic that we're talking about today for multiple reasons, and I think it's going to be a great conversation.
4: I, I think the first thing that we should probably do is I will ask you to, you both or whoever, I'm, I'm not sure, we didn't draw straws at the beginning, so we're coming out of the toll booth unless I decide to call on somebody. What Do you, do you prefer to call it cancel culture or consequence culture? when we're dealing about our thoughts and the struggles we have internally, when an artist creates something that we enjoy and things that they may or may not have. That's another thing that we'll get into is people that do you, does the person have to be convicted of a crime or, you know, everybody's got their own lines. So I call it consequence culture because a lot of people who have been canceled are still working, are still walking around. They're still doing shit. And I think that even if they were to be canceled for doing something horrible, the connotation in cancel culture lends itself to blaming the victims for speaking out, I think. I don't know. But but uh, Heather, you, you first. You're, I see you nodding.
3: I think it's called consequence culture. And I think people don't like being held accountable for actions. I think cancel culture is used because we want to disassociate from things that we've done I, yeah, so that i talked about on friday nightmare staring because so i know you're an avid listener of that show and i talked about sharing myself when i've done things that haven't been appropriate with male friends and that probably made them feel uncomfortable actually i know it did and i had to own up to that that's not right and i think when people get upset about cancel culture it's because they don't want to take a hard look at themselves and go you know what maybe i did something that was shitty I need to be responsible for that because we all make mistakes and things that were appropriate 20 years ago are not appropriate now. Like all you have to do is watch American Pie from 1999 oh. to be like, holy shit, the homophobic 2000s were alive and well. is <laughs> already like, yeah. Like there's so many problems with that movie when you watch it with a 2021 lunch. But back in 1999, I was like, ha that's funny. Yeah, they're videotaping this chick live naked. Ha ha ha. So many problems with that film. It is okay to be like, oh shit, you know what? I really, you know, fucked up back then and owning it. So I think it's called consequence culture. And I have no problem being responsible for my actions and learning. I learn every day about you know, how can I be more inclusive and accepting? And I think you got to be open to that. So thank you for coming to
4: my TED talk on what I think of <laughs> consequence culture. What about Vanessa? Your turn.
0: No, I, I agree with both of, you. I think consequence culture is the more accurate term because you're right. It's not, it, when you call it cancel culture, there is a certain stigma and blaming, but, People truly, the ultimate thing is people don't want to own up to when they make mistakes or saying that they're imperfect. And this goes to even people who are more um, to the left and progressive. They're not perfect either. Um, You know, like, you, you know, you see that with like white liberals and when they have a moment of like a racist microaggression, they may not mean it, but it's something that something so ingrained in the culture, but they should be, it's also an extension in that way of like, why I don't like the term woke. It should be, I'm trying because everybody should be, Examining themselves, and when they make mistakes, and calling that out, and so when you have people who are making egregious, you know, violations of ethical codes of conduct, you know, like a, a Harvey Weinstein or you know Joss Whedon, um, it's you know these people should come out and say, you know, and and that's not necessarily, you know, that systematic. You know, even, um, I know, like, with what had happened with Alexandre, for instance, you know, that's a smaller scale thing, but he didn't come out and really say, it, admit to anything or say maybe there was a you know maybe there was a misunderstanding or whatever it was just that it was immediately this cancel 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 and that was partly i mean maybe pr machine at that time because we've even made some headway in the last couple of years you know and whatever since the me Too movement of broke through the mainstream consciousness i mean i've been around longer than that but and i'm not just talking about the me too movement this is of course you know extends towards people and like visually and you know homophobic homophobic and transphobic you know comments and actions you know it's nothing new yeah and just general abuse of people
4: yeah, it's, it's getting less acceptable, and I appreciate that. I know we were talking before, behind behind the scenes, uh, as, as we always say, we were talking about who we were going to bring up first. I know you brought up a couple people. And I know everybody's got their, I, I think, I mean, my first real awareness of, oh, you know, a lot of people avoid that person's work because blank, People that come to mind, you know, Woody Allen, Roman Polanski, mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that uh, in the horror community. Victor Salva comes mm-hmm. up, you know, I and and for me, that that is one of my lines. It, it depends on how close to the project, how close the victims were to the project. It just it, there's a lot of things, you know, I will watch. I still watch Rosemary's Baby, but Jeepers Creepers for me is a movie by a convicted pedophile about a monster that lusts after young young boys and the pieces of them they want and they want to destroy their family that's a little too close and i i can't separate the art from the artist in that situation and it's i haven't tried to watch powder Again, because I didn't really give much of a fuck about that movie. But with Jeepers Creepers is usually the first thing I bring up in a conversation like this, in how mm-hmm. it's not. Well, you know, that's totally different. Like, well, there's a lot of that monster on the screen. Uh, anybody want to? We none of us we haven't all talked about this before
3: um I want to add in because I got into a Facebook debate with another podcaster about this uh someone had posted something in a different page um, about Jeep Creepers and how you know I guess there's another one coming out because we need another Jeepers Creepers um but anyway and uh we're like well you know I don't know if I'm gonna watch it because of the history with it and This person was like, well, you know, you need to look past that. And I kind of chimed in and I said, I respect people who can't look past it. And if you're able to, I'm not going to be one to turn to you and say you're a bad person. But this is an individual that was involved in child pornography, sex abuse. And that's pretty hard thing for most people to look past, you know, objectively. Uh, we see children as their secret shouldn't be used as sexual means at all. And when that is violated, especially by someone in the position of power, which, you know, we come back to power and privilege and lots of other factors that tie into that. And I said, I do recognize that there's lots of people that worked on Jeepers Creepers that were not pedoph- like weren't convicted of pedophilia. I understand that there's actors, there's set designers and makeup artists. There's, there's tons of people that were not involved in that. So of course I can understand that lots of people go into making a a film, but you still struggle. And I struggle with this too, because I love the first Jeepers Creepers. I thought it was a awesome concept when it came out, not knowing the history, not knowing anything about Victor Salva at the time, just thought, wow, what a really cool story with Justin Long and Oh man, he gets his eyes bulged out. Wow, that sucks. Like it didn't, it didn't go deeper than that, right? And now Scott and I on Night- Friday Nightmares, we chose not to cover it, and we addressed why is that we weren't comfortable covering it because of that. And I'm sure some people rolled their eyes. When they heard us say that. And that's fine. You don't have to agree with me. So, Darren, I fall into a similar camp with you. As much as I love that movie, and I enjoyed the second one, and you know, the third one I did watch. And anyway, that was fine. Um, you know, the, I, do have a, I do have a moral issue with, with it, and it's a really tough thing for me to to struggle with. And I find people get very defensive if you do, because I think they feel bad that they don't, or they feel that you're attacking them if they don't.
4: Well, and the, I have heard the, well, there were other people involved in the making of that. I would be extremely surprised if the key grip was making residual checks off of Jeepers Creepers. Or if yes, the actors exactly. are still getting money. Or, you know, usually, and we were talking about with, with power and abuse of power, mm-hmm. you know, it's usually the higher up the person is, the more likely they are to still be profiting off of the thing or to be the the main one affected by the avoidance, or I, Kevin Sorbo, I saw Kevin Sorbo say, and this is when we get into arguing oh, about Zerbo. semantics. <gasps> <laughs> and I mean, semantics is in the fucking name of the show, so you know it's going to happen every once in a while. But <laughs> he, you know, a part of the anti-cancel culture Whatever that tends to come from more often from the right or from let's not even say left, right, whatever, but more from people that do shitty things and they are mm-hmm. facing the consequences
1: mm-hmm.
4: that they'll get tied up in things and trust on the stupidity of others to just just get mad without thinking about something like Ted Cruz selling autographed copies of Dr. Seuss books that are not going out of print to raise money. Against cancel culture. But, or against cancel culture, he will destroy a book that he doesn't like in te- protest against cancel culture. Even though the first thing a lot of people think of is burning books. Uh But Kevin Sorbo, anyway, said that, hey, <laughs> instead of boycotting someplace, why don't you just not spend money there? Which... I'm trying to catch why that's not the same fucking thing. I, yeah, I, I think that's I, the
3: same thing, but this is this is a dude that was on a shitty Hercules show. I don't think we can put any <laughs> I to let Kevin Sorrow. Uh fact checker chiming in
2: again. Uh he was also in a Mythica fantasy series on Amazon Prime. Was that good? No. <laughs>
3: okay, well there you go. And another shitty series. Thank you, Fat Checker Bo. Very welcome. We appreciate it. <laughs>
4: Is he in that anti-abortion movie that Jamie Kennedy said he was tricked into being in? Does anybody know?
2: Uh one sec, I'll check.
4: Oh, okay. I picture they've just got, you know, Tim Allen and Kevin Sorbo and uh Christy Swanson and Stacy James Dash Woods and James <laughs> Woods. John Voight. Uh a couple they, they don't it's it's like here in america it's like oh every british actor is in all the things that we have here it's like all the right-wing people are in all those
1: interesting movies
4: yeah kirk cameron god Uh.
3: (laughs) you know i think he made a good point darren about the dr seuss books um i i saw interesting memes going on back when this all happened first of all the only people in it, you could not, in my opinion, get upset about the Dr. Seuss books unless you could prove to me that you owned one of those books or even knew one of them existed. Because when I looked them up, I had never even heard of them. And my girlfriend who bought the Dr. Seuss collection prior to this for her kids, they weren't even in there. So obviously these are books that <laughs> no one has read. I, I knew
0: of one, maybe two of them. So you knew of two of them, maybe two of them, but I'm also a little older and informed. It, well, <laughs> I was like crazy reader, but right. You know, I also lived in Alabama, so I oh. might have seen something from a <laughs> some family fair. member down there that I had thought that's what that
3: that is fair. Was older. <laughs> that is fair. So these books had offensive material in it yeah it is it's so they decided not to print them anymore and i actually saw a meme that compared this to the rap song and all i could think is rap songs are for adults like books are for children do you read your kid nikki massage lyrics to go to bed i you like <laughs> all right let's sit down do you do that darren with your son you're like all right tonight we're going to read wap Yeah. She's gonna give you everything you got for this. (laughs) Like, no, you're not gonna do that. And and when I see further arguments of well, my kid can play violent video games. Yes, if you purchase them for them, absolutely they can play violent video games. Pretty sure your nine-year-old have a credit card. So there's a way that they're playing the video games. I feel like there's a lack of connection between things, and people use that to justify me mad about something else when neither one of those things are related. As a parent, you are choosing to a certain extent to a certain age. Yes, I'll go over to friend's house not right now because it's COVID-19. So probably you haven't gone to a lot of friend's houses, but still have to filter out what is appropriate and not. So your child should not like at nine years old, which would be the same age or maybe younger for Dr. Seuss books, be listening to hardcore rap. Why would you even compare the two? And I find when people make ridiculous comparisons like that, they know they have invalid arguments and they're just grasping at straws, in my opinion.
0: Well, even if they hear that, there's also a point of step in and fucking parent.
3: Yes, absolutely. Like, and just
0: say, okay, this exists. Mm -hmm. It's not appropriate for your age, you know? It's like... you hear if you're a little kid and you hear swear words you just tell the kid don't use them you know mm-hmm. you, can't, you know you're not you're too young you don't use them in public you know whatever you don't understand
3: the context right, right. and you got it right? you have
0: to explain the context yeah. and most people are too fucking lazy to do that <laughs>
3: yeah, that's like i'm sorry
0: fun. but that's it yeah comes you're down right to. it's what it comes down to and maybe this I will get off my soapbox. I know I don't have children of my own, but I have worked as a nanny. I have helped friends of mine with children of theirs. You know, I remember like there was even one friend like who was paying, you know, know, for a while, while her, you know, husband had, was going through cancer, you know, she had to work. And so I would pick up their son from school and, you know, and she paid me for the time, whatever, you know. And so here he is, whatever. And he learns like how to flip the bird. And so he, he's like, hey, Vanessa. And he's like, flips me <laughs> off. And like, it's the big new thing. And like, he's getting away with something. And I'm like, hey, you know what? And I flipped him off right back. And I said, but you know what? That's, you know, that's between us. But, and I totally put it in context. Mm-hmm end of story mm-hmm. because that's what my parents did to me and I felt like as I you know was interacting with public you know and growing as an adult
3: like I knew where to put things like this is a social behavior yes and that's linked <laughs> part like- of parenting It's preparing your children for social context right it's like just general manners <laughs> absolutely and understanding what's appropriate in different situations and never is racism in a Dr. Seuss book appropriate in any situation. And if for some reason you are greatly upset that you can't read something that says Chinaman, I think you need to explore other issues to why that bothers you. <laughs> right?
4: So. And oh. they're not even removing, they're not like people think with guns, they're not going to go house to house and take your copy of If I Ran a Zoo or whatever <laughs> they they just said we're not yeah. printing it anymore bo i heard yeah. you say uh so i i await your fact checking this
2: yeah i just wanted to follow up on the roe v wade film that jamie kennedy was in um it it turns out it doesn't look like anybody's arms were twisted to be in that thing uh <laughs> I don't think anybody was tricked. Everybody seemed to be pretty wide-eyed. Uh, Kevin Sorbo and Jimmy Kennedy uh, have both given interviews uh, since the film's release uh, defending their their uh, participation in the film.
4: All right. Thank you very much, man in the booth. Uh, so we went from Dr. Seuss to... Well, oh, no. I want
0: to go back to before we got on the Dr. Seuss. <laughs> what you brought up about like artists and uh you know their horrible act or whatever um because since the discussion we had last time I mean, you know, and I, I explain then, yeah, I share very much the same, like, what context, like, how involved is the individual with the project? What is the context of the project? And that kind of thing. And also, you know, if is this repeat behavior that you see, you know, throughout someone's life that too, you know, is an influencer you know, because I can be more forgiving of someone who, okay, I, you know, committed this bad act. Mm -hmm. I apologized for it. I'm trying to move on and repair myself and, you know, be a better person. That's a different story for me. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, even if it's just a one-time thing that they get caught with, I mean, I know maybe that, that's not necessarily great. But if you're talking about someone who's like a serial abuser, that's just so, and they're just so unapologetic. It's so much harder for me to forget that. And when they're so egregious with how they disregard, you know, like, I'm not going to apologize for the abuse too. That, I mean, that's another thing. Even if it is a one-time thing, just if they're just so egregious with, you know, had their I'm, behavior. I'm sorry they
4: didn't like what I did. Right. Like right. Yeah. right. Yeah. Right.
0: But um so Woody Allen. I know I brought up Woody Woody Allen when we kind of had this topic before, but I want to bring it up again because there was recently that Allen versus Pharaoh series on HBO Max. And I actually got into a discussion with a friend of mine uh, about Woody Allen and that case. And so when I was growing up and my parents like separated and divorced. My mom and I like our big thing was okay, Friday night, we're going to the video store get pizza and go home and we would go through different directors or actors like filmography you know as much of like whatever was on the show. and one of those people was Woody Allen so I saw a lot of Woody Allen movies when I was, I was middle school age and I like some of those movies uh, you know one movie that i didn't see and that was brought up with in the allen versus pharaoh series and i you know i didn't realize the plot and you know and, and sure, i was aware of some of these like age dynamics of like kind of an a little older man an older man than a, a younger woman in cast in a lot of his films but that's such sadly such a Hollywood, this it, is all the film industry across the world where you have an older actor and his female, you know, lead is at least 10 years younger. That's like the standard, mm-hmm. it's often 20 or more years younger. I mean, you know, that's just unfortunately the industry, and so. I it was already aware, but then what I've learned about this one film, and if I had seen it at that age, I would have been already appalled by Woody Allen and just like, I'm turning my back on him even before the whole thing. Cause when the whole Sunni affair broke in the early nineties. I do remember it. I was in college. And, um, you know, I, at that time I was like, it just didn't sit right with me. And so I was, and that was the point where I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to watch Woody Allen movies anymore. It just, but I didn't know about all of the Dylan Farrow, um, abuse uh i know technically we have to say allegation because we're not proven in court but i believe it is a very strong case and what you see do, this docu series which i highly recommend is um and it was also it was done by uh same filmmakers who've done some Like the invisible war and some i think they did this film is not rated too also really yeah yeah um but they've done some really other good documentaries including ones though but the invisible wars one about um exposing sexual assault in the military so they've done a few of like other things to this kind of similar subject um so this Allen versus Pharaoh, you know, I was already kind of like, okay, I was like a little more on board with, they're going to investigate more, you know, and see, look for the victim, like advocate for a, a potential victim. You know what I mean? And, and do, do, do more digging. And so Woody Allen, declined to be interviewed for the series. You know, I will say that. But they did have excerpts from his audiobook that recently came out, you know, where he's still like denying all, all the allegations. But one thing that it really showed is that he was is such a man with such a in such a position of power. And he he was manipulating so much of the press conversation about this whole thing and so that Mia Farrow like he was she was she did it was it basically didn't give her a chance legally really prove this and the it it, you know it was just seemed like he even used a certain amount of power and influence with this one report that was supposed to say whether, it, you know, prove whether or not Dylan had been sexually abused. But all these other sources of like district attorney's offices and, you know, that kind of thing in both Connecticut and New York City have like, you no, know, Woody Allen should have been charged with this you know, um, and even in Connecticut, they're like, no, you really think he should have been charged with it. We just didn't want to put the kid through it in a public trial. And here she is now saying, I wish they had, I'd already been traumatized, you know? Um, but, so that's one thing that, like, to hear more about that, just hear not only how A child was silenced in that, but there were interviews with Mia Farrow talking about it. And she's like, I had been so kind of beaten down and, and he made her so reliant on him. And it is, it was such the power dynamic that we talk about, um, in all, in so many other situations and this extended because it, it affected her career, you know, as well as a relationship, you know. Um, but one with the film I started to bring up of his, that should have been like, I think a red flag for everybody. Was the movie Manhattan, and that's the I was saying I hadn't seen. Basically, it's Woody Allen's character. Play. He's played by Woody Allen himself, and and this and the fact that Woody Allen interjects himself in so many of his movies, in these roles of the older man with the younger woman, I think that's that's the other element of why. I can't, it's harder for me to, I can't separate the potential art that might be there and the artist, you know what I mean? And so this movie Manhattan it's the early 40s, you know, <coughs> character, character played by Woody Allen. And his girlfriend is a high school student who's 17 years old, played by a 16 year old, Ariel Hemingway. And it's the way the justification is, oh, wow, this 17 year old girl, she's so horny for this old man. So what am I to do? Oh, no. Like, and here's the coincidence. She happens to go to the same New York City uh, prep school that um, Jeffrey Epstein worked for. So <laughs> that's just a weird little side note. But I'm just like, oh my god! Like if I had seen that growing up, even in middle school, I that would have been before these scandals broke. I would have been like, are you fucking kidding me? He's a big creepazoid. No. Because I I mean I'm like, because then I would have started looking at these other films and then and you know it's I I've now even I can't watch his films, even ones that he's not in. You know, even the one like ones that I've liked. And I'm like, I can't and it, you know, I hate it because it's like there are all these are great people in his movies. And then the other side of it is what happened? What about these actors, who claim themselves to be feminists, who are in his films, even after all these scandals became public in the early 90s. I mean, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking about like Kate Winslet, and some of these others who will say this one thing, and then it's like, then they're in a Woody Allen movie. I'm like, I, you know, Timothy Chalamet, I will say, he at least came out and said afterwards, like, okay, I'm now donating my salary. I'm sorry about it. I'm donating my salary to these, you know, abuse organizations. So, I mean, that is a, that's someone I'm like, okay, I'm, you recognize there was a consequence. You, put, you made your apology in
3: financial apology at that. That speaks an extra volume to me. I think what you highlighted, Vanessa, is it's people care when it's convenient to care. And I think when women, and I'm not trying to attack these women in the film. I'm, I don't understand all the other factors that go on with their choices of choosing roles. But that to me says, well, I'm a feminist, but I also like money. So I'm going to do this and rationalize it because I think it's, it's very easy and not to tie into other things. But when, you know, we've had racial discrimination and racial violence for a very long time, not just from 2020. But when everyone changed their profile picture last year during Black Lives Matter, that, that's great. That's wonderful. But that's low hanging fruit that's not actually going, what are my behaviors? How am I presenting privilege? How am I adding to more racial discrimination or violence? How have I contributed? And how do I make changes that are hard? Or say no to opportunities that I know may be financially lucrative, but at the same time, are not advocating for what I actually believe in. And I think People have a hard time doing that because it's very easy to share a status or donate money. Um, I'm not referring to the gentleman that you were talking about. I'm just saying in general and, but to actually go through and own it, like this year, I've been talking a lot in my courses. I teach part-time at a college and I start off with, I am a white privileged um, heterosexual woman, and that has given me a lot of advantages and I don't understand other things. And I'm here to learn. And I think that's really important. And I think people have a hard time doing that. Um, and I think the other point you made about the child um, and the trial not happening is another example of making assumptions that oh, will further victimize this person. And actually, you victimize them more by not sending them to trial and having the guts to talk about violence against children in a public forum. Because it makes everyone uncomfortable, and no one wants to think about this guy doing it. That's really, to me, what that was about. Well, um, but it, I, right, it happens to adult women, yeah. as well. I mean, yeah. truthfully,
0: yeah. you know, because they become. It's so much of this is dismissed. Mm-hmm. We don't want to talk about this behavior. No, nope. whether there it's. Like I mean, roots, and I'm not just talking about sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. This can be physical abuse. This can be verbal and mental abuse. Like, you know, we where what are these rooting from? Because part of what we heard with like Joss Whedon was so much like like verbal abuse that it's, you know, you're right. People want to look at it when it's convenient and money definitely, I know, can be a factor for some people. And um, I don't know, with that the, the Allen and Farrow case, like what I wanted to mention with a friend of mine who he's, you know, he considers himself you know liberal but he's not that far he's not that far to the left and you know he's definitely more to much more to the center in my opinion but he was he was like still kind of like no I don't think that the Dylan Farrow abuse took place I think she was coached and all of this. And I'm like, and he's like, all of this stuff kept repeating. He's like, well, you didn't live in New York when it was happening. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't you realize that Woody Allen, the clown, and, you know, Woody Allen had, and how he manipulated part of the press. I lived across the country and I saw that. I mean, you know. And, and I said, also culture tends to believe the man over the woman so much of the time. They don't even want to. been a little letter for the
3: people in the back. <laughs> and <laughs> that's no wanna... offense to the white males that are on this podcast with us or any man listening. Yeah. At all. Yeah, I, I know. don't mean that as disrespect, but it is true. And you are stating the truth. I just wanted to add that in there.
0: Well, and then, you know, and what pissed me off even more and this is a friend of mine too who also has worked in Hollywood in the film industry in both actually yeah out in LA and in New York so so it just but I was just kind of like no you're you're under the spell too and i have trying to explain that and he actually did work at Miramax you know Years ago, you know, very early in his career in the '90s, you know, and when that Harvey Weinstein thing broke, you know, we discussed whatever. He's like, there were grumblings, and he's like, I never felt. He's like, it just never felt right around, you know. And he's like, I was so. He's like, I was so level hanging working when I worked at that company, and I worked there for such a short time. He's like. I didn't witness things, but there were grumblings. you know, even, you know, the 90s. So, but another thing that has broken a predator, a story that has broken since this topic last came up, and I guess it's not necessarily art versus artist. Um, Maybe it is to some people, but the case of Ron Jeremy, um, the... Again, my same friend here, although he wasn't surprised with the Ron Jeremy uh, arrest for sexual abuse, because my friend worked in the production department at Playboy in the 90s, and would tell me all these tales of the different women who would come in there these different porn stars who would come in, female porn stars who would come in and the ones who would have no Ron Jeremy clauses in their contract because they didn't want to work with him. He already, so he had a reputation of just, you know, there were varying. you know, they didn't just like, they didn't like his work ethics, you know, mainly. And so, and now we see, and I'm sorry, but you know I'm very pro porn. It can be a great thing, but if when it's consensual, you know, and I don't like using the word the words child pornography. I think that insinuates consent. Um, children are, can't give consent, and it should be called child sex abuse imagery. Like I mean, the UK woman, has already that. Right? And that's one thing that was really bothering me with the Jeffrey Epstein case. And at least there started to be a shift towards saying underage girls. You did start seeing that shift, but some mainstream media was still saying underage women. And I'm like, Oh, no, it doesn't. That no. And at least now the, everything with the Peter Niger case has broken to bring in a Canadian <laughs> sexual predator um, and uh, just abusive person in general. Um, you know, at least with his underage victims, they seem to be referred to as underage girls. But like I was saying about Ron Jeremy, it's even if you work in porn, it's consent,
3: consent, people. Consent (laughs) between adults. Absolutely. And I agree with you. I think the porn industry, I think sex work, depending on the sex work, as long as everyone is consenting to what is happening and of able mind to consent as well. Right. And there's not a power struggle in consent. Scott and I talked about this on a podcast where. Um, there was this situation with Marilyn Manson and and people were saying, well, you know, they knew what he was all about. Okay, I'm I'm Rachel, it's Rachel Woods, I believe, was his ex, right? Evan Rachel Rachel Woods. Okay. And I'm her, I'm here, Marilyn Manson's here. He tells me to do something. I'm probably gonna do it out of fear. So I may be consenting But am I truly consenting? And I think that's what people miss, is that what we're also talking about here is when people empower the artist, take advantage of people that are below them. It's no different than you're at work and your boss starts sexually harassing male, female, whoever, your boss, male, female, whoever, because it's not okay for men or women to do it. Someone that's underage or anyone in general, but someone that's underage, like there's no difference, but somehow when someone gets elevated to the media light, we want to downplay it. We want it to not seem as bad as it actually is because it's a hard pill to swallow. And I think you've really illustrated that Vanessa with the examples that you've given. Well,
0: and then bringing up the Marilyn Manson thing, maybe there is a certain amount of consent certain aspects of bdsm
4: mm-hmm.
0: um that can be well and good but what are your limits in this context
3: um because that can be healthy and can but, you give limits in that situation when you're dealing with someone who's a mega superstar and you're average and you know this person could make or break your career right right and
0: well and then that also well then another one is army hammer you know with all of that what do i mean what is he telling these these models that he's you know is he making promises to them like oh i'll hook you up with the right people so that you know whatever and then he puts in, he's like, oh, we'll start this, situation," you know, and then he brings them into abusive relationships um, that are, you know, end up not being just physically abusive, but seem to be emotionally abusive as well, which is what Marilyn Manson has done. Um, so it, it's just like, it, yeah, it's... Some of it, I agree, can seem murky, can seem murky, but what power dynamic are you talking about in the relationship as a whole? And that, again, goes back to the Woody Allen and Mia Farrow relationship. Sure, she was an established actress, but Woody Allen was a more established man with more power. You know, you know what? Just when Woody Allen, I mean, just when Mia Farrow was on the set of Rosemary's Baby, and Frank Sinatra, and this was earlier in her career, Frank Sinatra serves her divorce papers on the fucking set without warning. Um, she didn't like go back and retaliate in some weird way, like. Mm-hmm. People saying she did with Woody Allen and the Dylan Farrow abuse thing, like saying, Oh, she made that episode, a, she's a woman scorned. Like, no, I mean like
3: women are unable to logically process things.
0: Right. And be able like, to manage
3: she, their emotions. That's the assumption, right? That's being made.
0: Well, yeah. that, but it, it, yeah, it still goes back to don't we don't wanna believe we're lessening the word of the person who is speaking out.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and I'm not saying this is always, you know, a man who's doing this to a woman, but it can be, you know, but let's be honest. It usually is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because even when it is a man doing it to another man, Or I think a woman doing it, a woman in power doing it to a man. It, it just, it comes out of a sense of the, how the patriarchy is set up. Absolutely.
3: And you're right. And I agree. There can be various sex on sex or assigned sex violence or chosen sex or whatever it may be. But the patriarchy is very much, we see a lot of white males at the top. Right. And that's why it's like, wow, it's not white males. Well, it's because they're the ones that are usually making the most money and have the most power. (laughs) Like, that's why. Um, Now, in a case of someone like R. Kelly, for example, who's the black man and the uh, that's one that's always been a struggle for me because I was a huge fan of R. Kelly music. And then, you know, I heard about some stuff here and there when I was younger. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, wow, that's really cool. She was so young and got married to R. Kelly. Not putting together all of the problems with that as I got older. And I'm like, hmm, that's not actually OK. And then as I was discussing this the other night. And I, we were talking about Surviving R. Kelly, the documentary that came out. And I said, you know, because people always want to not believe the victim. Oh, they're just doing it for attention. He's R. Kelly. First of all, sexual abuse is a pretty hard thing. Any abuse is very hard to talk about. So, But let's say 50% of what they said is accurate. That is still terrifying of what this individual got away with for a number of years being an R&B singer. And now personally, as much as I love his music, I, it comes on the radio and I change the channel because I can't do it now. I can't do it knowing what I know. And that is probably the hardest one for me. If I was real honest about the artist that really hits me where it hurts, it's that one, because I, as much as I grew up listening to that, and I have so many fond memories of those songs, they're tainted now. And it's a really hard thing to get past. And he was a black man. So it it can happen in various cultural groups. It can happen with different sexes, but we do have a high amount of white men in power. So that's why we do see it more there.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. And uh, I'm glad you brought up R. Kelly too, because, it, 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 yeah, the statistics you're not seeing it so much among other races. But again, it goes back to the wealth and power. Yeah, that is the common denominator. Always, always, Darren. For Darren. Yeah.
3: Well, Darren, want the
0: same thing. No, <laughs> we're I'm, not attacking. We're not attacking white males, but we know you. We know you don't have any
4: wealth or power.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I don't know. <laughs> except, like except around here. Except around here.
4: This, this is all mine, right here. And, yay! But no, I I am doing what I think a lot of powerful, handsome men need to do in this situation and listen to you very smart ladies talk and I did want to say Uh Bo I don't know if you were trying to break in for a second if you do I will toss it off to you before we get back into this with the Marilyn Manson thing I wanted to add that there was also another actress uh, Esme Bianco from Game of Thrones has recently filed uh, sexual assault and battery charges against him for a myriad of things that will start coming out, I guess, in the trial. But there was... uh, I'm still parsing through it, but it was started out as a professional relationship. Like, she was hired to come to America and it seemed to just be ploys into getting her naked or other things like that. But going back to Evan Rachel Wood and the mental abuses or we're talking about where lines of consent are drawn. One thing that uh, she said and he said in an interview himself with uh, Spin Magazine was after their breakup, where I feel like a breakup is withdrawal of consent to a relationship. He said that he called her uh, something like 60 times while cutting himself and telling her that she did this to him and all this other stuff. And then, like that is enough for me. That is more than enough for me, but that that just sort of stuck in my mind when people are like, well, you never know those women might just be wanting that sweet, sweet sexual abuse victim money that they keep talking about. I don't know where. I maybe would I, I don't really understand why people are so easy to believe that a woman will generally ruin her life for a long period of time for some sort of thing. You know, it just seems like, well, she just wants to get back at him. There are better ways to get revenge on people. But I I feel like, yeah, you've withdrawn your consent to whatever parameters were within your relationship. When you break up with someone and they call you and mentally abuse you, that is enough for me now it wasn't too hard for me because i i mean i i liked marilyn manson like to fuck with the establishment but i never really gave much of a shit about his music and i i don't know but i i just wanted to add that part in bo did you want to break in
2: i had uh just been monitoring stuff in the chat Ah. uh and i wanted to to bring up yeah you know I'm, i'm trying to do something over here and um wanted to bring up the idea that a a couple of people had, had sort of talked around which is at what point is separation from the art impossible like is is Manhattan like there is undeniably and objectively an artistry to that film and that is in no way to defend it it is in no way to defend Woody Allen but is there is there a place to be able to still watch and appreciate that film, or is it, you know, is that the uh, uh, food of the of the poison vine and so forth? Is are we done? Is is Woody Allen? I mean, going back to the idea of cancel culture or at least consequence culture, um, is the consequence so great that you just can't enjoy Woody Allen anymore?
4: Before I let the smarter people in the room talk. I just wanted to say that I think the consequence of that is very simple. If you do shitty things, or are known to be a shitty person, or enough people say you suck, less people will like you. Less people will want to hear what you have to say. And I don't see that as being canceled. I see. Yeah, and everybody's got their own line, just like people do with things. Like, I. There. It's. It's not a cut and dry for most people. I I well, I would say probably for everybody. Everybody's got something that someone else would be like, "Oh, you you really you you still like that, huh?" And it it goes beyond one well, thing. yes.
2: Yeah, and and the Joss Whedon example too. And like aside from the misogyny in a lot of the Joss Whedon reporting, and I don't mean to brush the misogyny under the rug or right, anything. Right. The the idea I'm getting at is there room for just an asshole director? Not like the Sam Peck and Paul, I'm gonna punch the actress <laughs> in the face, but of just being a dick on the set of being, you know, Christian Bale, you know, oh good for you. Like that kind of thing, is that still okay just to be an artistic jerk? Because I don't think you can necessarily separate those two things you know is the line the misogyny like you can be mean to everybody but if you're just mean to women then it's a problem
3: that's a really good question bo he's still working
4: so there's he does not seem to have crossed the social line but but
2: woody allen can't get movies made in the u.s anymore you know like woody allen has to go overseas for all his money uh because he is you know uh he is kind of poison to the industry but you know just a good old fashioned fashion loves
3: him no yeah
2: that's true yeah you're right
3: i think there's a difference between being quote-unquote mean and expecting more so for example um shelly long's experience in the shining and what she's recounted sorry develop sorry Sorry. um oh i wish shelly long had
2: been in the Shining. now that you (laughs) say that (laughs)
3: um like, that to me is abusive to a point, obviously. But I think there's a difference between that and what we see Victor Salva guilty of, of course. You know, and I think that violence to men is no better. Like, if someone's a violent person and abusive as a director and and never being on a movie set and never being an actor, I have no idea where the line falls between getting the quote-unquote best out of your actor, and abuse. I am not an expert on that. We would probably need somebody who's been in film to discuss that in more detail. But I do think that abusive behavior, no matter who the person is receiving it, is not okay whether they're man, woman, or whatever gender they identify with. But I don't know the difference between just tough directing and abuse, personally. I've never experienced it. I don't, I only know what I read in the media. Maybe Darren and Vanessa have more to share on that. I don't know enough.
0: I have worked both in theater and a couple movies and with television commercials. So I've seen some and I've seen some like directors cooked up out of control mm-hmm. abusive behavior. Um I have quit theater productions because of that when I worked as a costumer. Um, you know I did I was basically like, nope, I cannot work in these in this environment anymore. you know like because was and it wasn't just me. it was like, but it was truly abusive conditions. it you know, it wasn't just like you're pushing us like because, we we keep fucking up, and we you know we just or whatever. It was going. It was it was just so erratic. It, I mean, there's, it's a thin line. You know, it's it can be a thin line, but there when you have certain things that are so egregious, you know, obviously, and when it, it becomes like such such a pattern of abuse. That's where I'm saying with like the Joss Whedon thing, it's, you've got so much more of the abuse being directed towards women and combined with content and some of his you know projects that have these, under the guise of being feminist, have these misogynist tones or troops thrown, you know, in there. So, it, you know, it kind of that overall I'm just like, that's where one where I'm like, I guess I'm glad that I have never such a buffy junkie as some other friends of mine. Um, because I'm kind of like, yeah, I, I don't that and that's one where I'm like, I don't know if I'm not rushing enough to see any Jess Whedon, but you know what? I kind of wasn't before. So that one, um, but that one I think is, it doesn't sit right with me because of seeing how it's played out and just seeing some of it to the, you know, I I, I don't know. But when you have, but the Woody Allen one, why that's so, I can't watch any of his work anymore is just his reaction to the whole thing has been so egregious. And how he even downplayed his relationship with Sunyi because no, it's not just, oh, I started this affair and she was of age. No, the relationship actually started when she was underage and in high school. So, and it's been proven in court. That was proven in court. That was proven, like, that came up in the custody trial between, you know, we Allen and Mia Farrow. So, that's been proven in court. And so, that's one of those situations where it's like, okay, you know, you try, you it's been proven in court, this one thing, you lied about it with your PR machine, you know, in all your press conferences and everything since then. And he really groomed Sunyi Yi just as much as he was grooming Jillian because like Sunyi, what you see in like the Allen versus Farrow um, documentary is that she had never had a boyfriend before Woody Allen. She had no, she was very introverted, really didn't even socialize much with other members of the family.
3: She had no romantic relation experience, she no had sexual no, experience. She had and here comes know, this older man,
0: right? <laughs> someone who within the family was treated as a father, and the other adopted siblings, like, the older ones to like referred to him like and saw him as a father figure so it it just and I know she was the oldest but still it was kind of like again that's one where I'm just like it makes it hard that I'm like yeah and now I'm just kind of like I he's just been so egregious with his behavior and all of this and the way it just all played out it just sits so wrong with me you know, that I'm like, I really don't think I can ever watch another film of his. I mean, even the ones of his that I like that don't have him in it. And that's a shame because there were some that like, you know, uh, radio days, I mean, Mia Farrow, Diane Weist, you know, little bitty Seth Green, like uh, these really like some great people in that
3: movie. And Okay. What I hear you saying, um, Vanessa, is layers. Like, there's layers here of abuse. There's layers of what this abuse started from and stemmed from and how he groomed his victim, which leads up to not being able to enjoy the art because of the layers. This isn't like, oh, you know what? He, you know, messed around with a 17-year-old once and he apologized for it and spoke openly about it and, you know, tried to, you know get I don't want to say get past it but percent the wrongdoings of it no he was all like yeah I'm just downplaying it because people have a problem with it but I know exactly what I did and I think that's where you kind of draw the line that's what I'm hearing from what you're saying is that it's a deeper-seated issue and that's where it makes it difficult to enjoy a film like I've never seen Manhattan so I have no idea what the film's about, (laughs) but like at all I don't watch a lot of Woody Allen because personally I never liked Woody Allen before so it never will
0: just he even with like the content of that by presenting this relationship of a high school 17-year-old who is engaged in this sexual relationship with a 40 something year old um and putting it the onus on the underage individual and making and you're normalized this mm-hmm. you're you're grooming the audience yes And combine that with all these other films of his where these relationships where there is this dynamic of the older man and younger woman, even if those other ones are of age, it's still, you know, at some point, it's it's a, a very, you know, sizable gap or whatever. And I'm not saying that you can't have those kind of relationships in life. Once you are a, of age but
3: there's still something to be say about power though
0: there From are st- 17 to 18 there's a power right? dynamic that yeah right that and is, i think is questionable um and that you- goes back to the marilyn manson evan rachel wood thing because yes she had started acting when she was I know early teens, at least. I mean, maybe even younger, but so she had been in the industry, but she was still, I don't think, even 21 or, or 20 when she met Marilyn Manson and they started their relationship. And he was what in his 30s already and a superstar and already a superstar. a superstar. Yeah. So aside from the fame, and yes, yeah, she had a certain amount, you know, of. Autonomy financially and some career, but she still didn't have as much of a career as she does now. She doesn't, you know, have the age to. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the age dynamic definitely makes a difference.
3: And I think sometimes we get caught up, and I say this for myself too, because you're always trying to walk this line. You know, at the same, I don't want to be judgmental of someone's age gap. I want to be respectful of two consenting adults of various ages that get together. But do I think there's a huge maturity jump from 17 to 18? Absolutely not. I think when turns 18, he goes, oh shit, man, I get it. I totally can balance this relationship of power and privilege. It's all good. That's what I got for my 18th birthday. No, I don't think that's a thing. So I think that it's really important when we look at relationships in general, power and privilege plays into that. And whether they're the same age, 20 years apart, it doesn't matter. If someone is in a position of way more power than you, there can be a situation of control, male or female. Now it's typically men just because they tend to move up in the hierarchy more. But unless you work in certain institutions, at my institution, it's women. It's all women at the top. So that doesn't mean that they couldn't use their power and prestige to their advantage too, right? So I think it's it's really valid layers that you talked about there that is key in understanding you um you know, dis- you're not wanting to engage with Woody Allen's art. It's pretty justified when you look at the reasoning why.
2: And just to throw in a, a little bit of fact checking, um, Evan Rachel Wood was 18 when she first met Marilyn Manson. He was 36. Oh, he she was so fine. She had it
3: all together. She was 18. Yeah,
2: literally <laughs> twice his age.
3: Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> oh, she made that 18th birthday. So that's fine. Everything happens on your 18th birthday. So many votes. (laughs) That's right. That's all you need. It's like, you know, separate argument here, but it's like the drinking age, both of our countries, respectively, 21 and 19. And like something changes on your 19th and 21st birthday. We're like, oh, shit, I can manage alcohol now. No problem. And you go out and you get absolutely intoxicated. We get so caught up on age of consent as well it's fine it's age of consent you can get absolutely drunk and you know vomit and you have to end up in the hospital because it's your 19th birthday why wouldn't you in on the province of Ontario and I think that sometimes we get too caught up on that stuff to really look at the bigger picture of how we treat alcohol how we treat other addictive substances and it results right back to relationships and consent and and sexualization and age as well.
0: No, I no true because it isn't just an age of consent issue in my in my opinion because the power dynamic is so so much more the issue because that go, that goes to so many of these you know other cases that we've seen um uh, you know that with Harvey Weinstein you know, Mm. we, I mean, I don't know of any underage girls he was going after. I haven't heard of any, but I've heard that they all seem to be of age, but they, he's still all going after practices that, you know, he's in this position of power Mm -hmm. and they're not, and not all of them are As young as I mean, you know, sure most of them are starting their careers, but there are others who are, you know, who are older and that, you know, had been in a few, you know, more things, but he still had the position of power to make their careers stall. You know, look what he did to Rosanna Arquette.
4: Mira Sorvino too, I think.
0: Right. Well, Mira Sorvino was a little bit younger, but Mira Sorvino, I mean, also she had, I mean, she had connections in the industry because of her father. Like, so, and, yeah. and Gwyneth Paltrow, he even went after her. I mean, well, still Rosanna Arquette because of her family. Her father was already in the industry. It was just like, so he wasn't just going after, you know, women who... Just starting out, who basically knew nothing. He he did. I mean, he just didn't care, you
4: know. Well, and if did ev- did everybody do the reading? Did uh, anybody else read?
3: <laughs> no, Professor Darren. <laughs> uh, speaking Probably. Of, <laughs>
4: speaking of the Pharaohs, Ronan Pharaoh's book "Catch and Kill" about how Weinstein was insulated and protected with his friends at NBC and all these other layers of protection for odious people.
0: Well, that's actually something I wanted to bring up um, is the, how Weinstein was protected. And it's the same way we saw Epstein protected and Peter Heigart protected. And there were these other people that were helping Although, uh, you know, we're not calling it procuring so much for Harvey Weinstein, but in a sense, some of them, it seems to be like, oh no, I'm going to push this actress, this unknown actress this way, you know, or I'm going to shield these people. And then when they had their money and power to influence the media and law enforcement, you know, and the criminal justice system. Let's point that out because, because you know, even R. Kelly, it was his money and power that was influencing, like how he was getting away with, you know, because however many years ago there was that first charge. About what was it that thirteen year old girl that he was that was on the videotape that he uh, that he peed on that became like a running joke, you know. Gotta love that. Like, no, that was on video and that became a running joke. Like, I remember the skit on Dave Chappelle where you know everybody was making fun of it.
4: Oh, that song's yeah, that song.
0: And and. <laughs> he somehow got out of that case like you know but it's and with harvey weinstein yeah he was connected with like black ops type you know israeli you know ex massad people (laughs)
4: mercenaries (laughs) And, and spies and yeah
0: and well and that's what it looks like you know epstein was too potentially although you know those layers still coming out but you know, and and you had a player there, like a Ghislaine Maxwell, you know, orchestrating all this different stuff. Um, just I'm like, I'm I, every day I see a, a a Brooklyn headline, like news headline, and she's complaining about her conditions in the jail here.
4: I heard the it's, lights in your jail give people black eyes.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm sorry, but it just kind of like gives me joy that I'm like, honey, <laughs> you're not special. <laughs> you're really, you are just as filthy of an animal as, and, and that's the case of, this is a mo- this is a woman with money and power who is doing this to other women, yeah. you know? And Peter Niger, um, again not as you know powerful but still you know here he was in the retail clothing industry and and could promise all these modeling contracts and stuff and he was down some in the Bahamas too and he was getting women to procure other women like in underage girls for him
4: here, here in Columbus, there's um, <laughs> we talk about how a lot of people seem to know each other. Les Wexner is very famous around well, here.
0: Going back to uh, Jeffrey Weinstein, yeah, I mean yeah. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein, excuse me, <laughs> <laughs>
4: Uh cereal, he,
0: super serial predator. <laughs>
4: it's hard to keep them all straight. He had to step down because of his relationship with Epstein and the running of limited brands and questionable things around Victoria's Secret. And I mean, and his name is everywhere. He's one of those kinds of guys around the city. There's the Wexner center for the arts at Ohio state, uh, where I took a class in college in the cartoon museum, where I first saw some of those questionable Dr. Seuss's bringing it back to the beginning. And th- it yeah, there is that level of power there's the trump miss whatever what was what did trump run miss universe miss something pageant miss america wasn't it was it miss america but that that with that whole thing of oh i, I love going in and seeing that there nobody's wearing clothes i was like yeah they're all like 15 16 year olds uh or i mean well, there
0: were different. there were actually a couple pageants. He did the Miss America one, but then there was another one that was younger.
2: Yeah, there. Uh, fact checker Bo here. Thank you. Uh, ran the Miss uh, Universe organization, which featured the Miss Universe pageant, but also included uh, the scholarship programs, the Miss USA and Miss Teen USA pageants. It's the,
0: the Miss Teen USA is where. Yeah, I knew.
2: Yeah. 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 Uh, Miss Miss Teen Vermont 1997 uh, was one of the women who who came forward to say that uh, Donald Trump liked to sneak into the uh, teen girls dressing room as they were dressing.
3: And the thing is, that is obviously inappropriate, but it is also inappropriate to do that to of age women. You should not be walking into anyone's dressing room without permission. And I think this really highlights, and I think it's great that we men underage, but no matter what age you are, it is actually not cool <laughs> to do that. And I think that it's interesting, right? Because as a society, sometimes, and I'm not saying us on this panel, but we're like, well, you know, they're of age and they don't bring that to the news. Underage gets to the news because it's underage. But unless I'm walking into a strip club where... The individuals there, we're assuming a lot here. I know there's other issues behind strip clubs, but I'm just talking as a generalized example. Are choosing to take off their clothes. I'm choosing to view it as a patron, as a consumer. That is consensual. Me walking into a dressing room for a bunch of individuals that are getting their ball gowns on and just hanging out, male or female, is not cool. So I think it just speaks to, yet again, privilege and power of being able to do these things and know that there's not going to be a consequence at all. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, and as a former costumer, it's, I mean, in theater, yeah, it was always supposed, like, the policy is, like, I mean, it is supposed to be, like, the you have the expectation of, in certain spaces, certain people, you know, may see you as you are changing, but, and I grew up, like, even before I worked as a costumer, I um, I was a a dancer starting at a very young age, you know, and it was always dressing room specific or these, you know, when you had quick changes, you had very specific places behind the stage, you know, that kind of thing. And what, um, oh, who is it? The story just came out this week in the UK and he had gotten, he recently got a BAFTA, and no and problem. they were okay thank you if, you know an actor and a producer and part of the allegations against him are about these work conditions on um, and violating nudity and like sex scene standards and because he often he, he's been accused i i'm not familiar with his work but he's often been accused of creating these productions where there's a lot of like just, you know, gratuitous female nudity and sex scenes in there with starring him. And, you know, and it seems to be that you're violating these work conditions you know, it, not just okay. These abuse allegations on a personal level, with the um, with the, the talent, you know. Also, the crew is also complaining, making complaints too, because this is you know this is not an appropriate work condition for us either. Saying no, it how this set should be restricted to only X, Y, and Z. And it was opened up to all the, you know, all these different people in it you know, and for these sex scenes, like these, you know, actors were ended up talking, being talked into more nudity than they had agreed with Um, just because he kept pushing and pushing and, and things like that. So, you know, and, you know, and I'm kind of like waiting to see how that one plays out, but BAFTA is considering uh, organization is considering rescinding the award that they just gave him. So,
4: I thought like, I had seen that they had. I think that's interesting. Sus- suspended it or something, but yeah, that, that was another thing where we were yeah, talking I about. What that's... are we going to talk about today? It's like, well, wait until the day because something <laughs> something's probably going to happen between now and then. Yeah. And yeah. That was they picked up on my wires, as you said. Still haven't heard any helicopters above head, but <laughs> all in due time. I know uh, Noel Clark from Doctor Who. I think that's the only thing I know him from. He was I can't re- can't even remember the character's name, but if I'm remembering him correctly, he was the boyfriend of one of the Doctor's companions. So he'd randomly be in the show occasionally cast into peril or whatever. But I, I I've, yeah, I've heard that he's well known aside from that. I don't know, but yeah, that that's one that I'm definitely catching well, up on.
0: And in the article that was posted on, what was it? The psycho semantic or the VD clinic Facebook page. I don't remember which
4: it might've been on the VD. VD clinic.
0: I think it was on the VD clinic one um i think robert ward posted it and um or did you post it
4: i did not post it i, was I think robert did yeah
0: i think robert did no i tagged you um but you know i one thing that was brought up with um now i just blank sorry Never mind. I just <laughs> I just uh, blanked. Too uh, many creeps to remember. I mean, like, really, it's oh, I, I know what it was. The art the line from the article that struck me that I'm like, is it how many times have we heard this same line? He's always been such a nice guy. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, how many times do we have to hear oh, that? Nice
3: people aren't predators. You didn't know that, Vanessa? Right. <laughs> hey, I'm sorry, Ted Bundy seems like a nice guy. One of the most famous serial killers in Canada is Paul Bernardo, who was a very nice guy. Ken and Barbie killers don't yep. even get me. Yep. yep. True. I'm rocking right. my
0: crime uh,
3: museum glass today. I only That's had nice. one other person I wanted to bring up, but I know Bo wants to say something. So.
2: I was just going to point out that Mickey was the character's name on Doctor Who. Thank. You. Uh, that I was fact checking that, and then. Robert in chat uh, mentioned it, so I I felt I would be remiss not to
3: add that. The only other person I wanted to bring up was John Landis. And the reason I wanted to bring up John Landis is because he did something that was not sexually based, um, or at least that I'm aware of. Uh, The incident I'm talking about is a Twilight Zone movie. And I had no idea about this until I watched cursed films. I I guess I'm just not as informed as Vanessa and Darren. And I watched the scene where the helicopter falls and I actually gasped as it came down because obviously I knew what the outcome would be. And I did a little bit of reading about it and the child labor laws that were ignored, hiding the children when uh, fire inspectors came to check out the set. Um, and of course the passing of Victor Morrow. Um, and I thought about that and I, and I had recently seen an American werewolf in London and I loved the film. I thought it was great. I had never got around to watching it. And I thought back and I'm like, does this change how I view him? Cause he was probably doing no different than what other people were doing at the time. Like let's not think he was the only person that didn't follow all the guidelines when it came to child <laughs> labor laws and you know, making sure sets were completely safe. I'm sure that he is not the first, nor was he the last, but it affected me. It affected me that a stunt stunt that was so pushed and unplanned. And the more I read about it, the more I was like, this was such an unavoidable accident where three people lost their lives unnecessarily. And it made me look at him differently. Now, Does it mean that I will never watch anything he's ever made again? That's pretty difficult because he makes a lot of really great, well-known films. So I'm in a situation with that where that's not sexually based. That's a whole other argument. And I wondered what both of your thoughts were on that.
4: Yeah. With, with Max Landis, that was something I feel like I first saw on one of those back, back when HBO was still trying to figure out what they were going to have. They had, random things like shocking things on video. And that was one of the thing. The first time I ever saw that was in the middle of the night. And they're like, here's something from a movie set. And the, uh, I feel like I had already seen Twilight Zone, the movie at that point. And yeah, uh, it's, it's kind of like the more I learn about how the trial was handled and how uh, uh, I, does OSHA deal with labor risk violations on Hollywood sets or is there a separate entity?
0: Um, that would be, it would be fall under the jurisdiction of SAG and what you would also have the crew unions.
2: Yeah. All the, all the production. Um, I, I was actually going to
0: get into the union stuff since I work in that for commercials. Okay.
4: Yeah. So I was going to bring that up. But the more, I mean, at first it, w- it was a horrible thing, but really it was presented back then as accident on set. But then the more, yeah, the more you look into it, it's like, oh, well, okay. It's really working on shoving these, uh, these risks that people were well aware of under the rug and frame it as, a helicopter came down and i mean the when you start when you brought it up the image of that went straight straight into my head and it is jarring and it is one of those things where yeah the more i see about how he reacted to that and things that he said well fuck it the less i like him he doesn't seem to enjoy what he had done, but he definitely covered his, his ass, and he definitely—well, I don't want to say definitely. He seems to not come up as often in the discussions of directors that have done something that really ruined someone's life or ended it. I can't even really think of another director right now. Well, I guess whoever directed The Crow. You know, there, there, there aren't a whole lot of movies in my mind where a director made a choice and people died. So I don't know if anybody, Bo would know if there's some sort of thing like that or probably Vanessa with your horrible Hollywood histories.
0: Well, I mean, maybe, but I, it, it actually wouldn't surprise me because in my day-to-day life, I work uh, with the talent unions as part of my job, except it's like more the commercial end. But I'm I'm working with like regulations of like Screen Actors Guild um in the United States. And then for Canada, Actra and UDA. Um and in those, I just know and I know even in the 18 years since I've been working in that industry, I mean the contracts get kind of renewed like every three years and, you know, updated with different things like this last SAG contract, their definitions of like restrictions on auditions and um, nudity and sexual harassment, they already had things in there before, but they become since it was their first revision since the Me Too kind of explosion. So those things were much more clearly defined as restrictions where you're less likely to have that situation. Or if something does happen, there's greater recourse for someone who is in the position of a victim um, as far as the union is concerned. And this also extends to conditions. But I also know, and I have had jobs dealing with OSHA, and I know even where they were in the early 80s, whatever, when, um, and that's even just separate than a regular labor, you know, just regular labor laws of a particular state that you might be filming in, Um, you know, it was much more common for directors and producers to look the other way and these regular there's so many regulations weren't quite in place yet and I know that there were some things that changed after that incident on the Twilight Zone set now that said John Landis I yeah that's this is one too where I'm kind of like I knew at the time it what happened i didn't realize quite the extent of how so much was ignored and because i remember when it actually happened and i know how i remember how the news story broke but it seems like he had he has such a yeah he just covered his ass and it just it seems to be a kind of disregard so yeah i don't know
2: I might also argue that was kind of an inflection point. And so he gets a little bit of a pass because everything kind of did change after.
0: Right. That And that's where I kind of am, where I'm like, I can see that side because things did change. And as far as I know, he seems to have changed.
4: How you deal with the repercussions of the thing you've done sort of back to the whole center one of the centers of this conversation well i guess there can't be more than one center well there can be in podcast land but yes sorry
0: no but they just goes back to what i was saying earlier it's that how do you deal if you make a mistake how do you deal with it you know yeah how sincere is your apology or what action do you make afterwards to make it better and not and to prevent it from happening again like or what did you or did you do something that was so egregious that it's just like I can't look past it I mean everybody I know has their line I mean let's let's say here's one that people just kind of nobody talks about Matthew Broderick killed someone
4: oh right in a car accident right
0: yeah hey that did nothing to his career. No. I mean, Winona Ryder shoplifted and that did more to her career. And I'm sorry, but that's kind of a nothing crime compared to killing someone. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get it. And, it. and that's also, but that to me speaks to a certain amount of misogyny in the press. Is it because it was a female who committed the act? Yes. Rather than a male. <laughs> I, probably. Right. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me,
3: but. And it's sensational because we believe that celebrities have all the money in the world. And it's a very female, like if we look at female male crimes, right? And um, Matthew Rodwick was a car accident. Was he intoxicated when the accident occurred? I was there think an impairment? It might have been. I believe so. so.
4: I believe that was involved.
3: I think he was. Right. So then people look at that differently. Well, you know, it was 19, I think it was 1987, drinking and driving laws, blah, 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 blah. But she went out and shoplifted and she has all the money in the world. Why would she do that? She must want attention. Now, maybe if a man did it, people would react the same way too. But I, yeah, I don't <laughs> think so. I don't think they would either. I don't. Think I so. think right. I think because it's a female and it's shopping, and we all know gender stereotypes of women in shopping, and it's the thought of. But you have the money. Why would you need to do it? The only reason you would be doing this is to get attention. There's no other reason behind it, right? Which is what I think the general public at the time thought. But that's what I thought. I was pretty young at the time, and that's what I thought. You know, that's not what I think now. No, I, well, it's <laughs> a mixture of mental health concerns. No, and, 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 issues, I, right? and I
0: remember like, what's going on with her? It's not a money thing. I'm like, there's, because I remember growing up, I grew up with some people who, going to school with some people who had money. I did not. I mean, my family would, little money we had went towards my education. These people had all the money to spare, but- we would, there would be some who would go in shoplift and it was the thrill or it was something like whatever for them, but it was, you saw that they had these, you know, upon reflection, it was kind of like, there were some, maybe some mental health things that they were, you know, not dealing with and, you know, and and maybe they did want attention and that was, you know, they were just trying, that was the only way they, could see how to do it, but not in a celebrity kind of way, just more as trying to get an attention from some person in individual, like in a relationship, even. So she might've been doing that or it might've been something else, but even so, I mean, and you can say this, if it were a man, like, I I mean, I'd be saying the same exact thing if it were a man, truthfully, but I remember at that time. And why was it such a just black stain on her career for so long? Like, that's what amazed me. I didn't understand it. And then people were all of a sudden like, oh my God, her, you know, her career comes back after what? Or I'm like, seriously?
3: Yeah, there's a lot of jealousy of, I think the haves and have nots. We look at celebrities as they have it all. So we see someone shoplifting. It also allows us to pro- provide a judgment of someone else. Uh, well, I'm better than them right and i think that's what also led to her career and the scrutiny super public scrutiny like and i i don't think matthew broderick got it because drinking and driving in the 80s and i will argue this on blue in the face was not considered that serious oh, i really yeah. feel like it picked up in the 90s at least in canada where people were like oh shit maybe we should stop doing this um a <laughs> uh, little bit <laughs>
2: little bit of a fact check on the matthew broderick situation uh he was not in fact uh, he wasn't no. at that
3: okay so he just um he drove
2: in. yes, he he drove uh wove into the wrong lane. Okay. A head on collision with another car. Mm. Uh both of the other uh pa- or the, the people in the other car were killed instantly. Um he was originally charged with, hang on, uh, da, 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 with manslaughter with causing death by dangerous driving. Because this is in uh- English. Oh yeah. Different oh, you're right. You're right. So. And um, he faced up to five years in prison, convicted ultimately of the lesser charge of careless driving, and was fined uh, about a U.S. $175, dollars for the accident. Um, oh,
0: wow, sure. Y-
2: yes. the, the, God, the That big- makes up
0: for it, totally
2: the victim's brother and son originally called the verdict a travesty of justice but later went on to uh forgive matthew broderick for what it, it's worth um how much did so you get
0: yeah baby, it, i wonder uh, under the table uh, <laughs> i'm just I, i'm not guaranteeing. i think you're 100 right
3: vanessa <laughs> i'm not
0: guaranteeing it's true but it's well, g- <laughs>
2: given the fact that the the same dude talks some shit about Matthew Broderick when he showed up in a car commercial in 2012, oh. I don't I don't know that he got paid. I think it was more, uh, you know, I think some people just come to that place of peace or whatever. But um, yeah, but-, but it sounds like uh, the the original charge was such that uh, he could have spent a little time in jail had he been convicted. Uh, you know without reading the transcript hard to know but it, it yeah it, you know he got busted up too it wasn't he wasn't it doesn't yeah. sound like he was just being drunk and careless that he was
0: no it's not like he just clipped the car is <laughs> that yeah. you're right head-on collision i remember that but i i didn't remember that it was um
3: i i thought he was intoxicated but yeah
2: yeah that's where my money would have gone but sure unless does.
3: he was on prescription d- drugs and we were tested for it at the time, mm. just to you know or, some other, to <laughs> or some other drug, there for some other drug or something else right I mean or maybe I, he just made a mistake it right I mean one.
0: it could have been just careless driving yeah I mean yeah. mistakes do happen I understand that I'm not saying that doesn't happen but even if it were a pure accident that to me is a bigger stain on your should be a bigger stain on your record than what it was
2: Sure. Murder greater than shoplifting, even if accidental.
0: Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because it was two people, not just one person who died. (laughs) Two. I mean, like, (laughs) like, oh,
3: absolutely. No,
0: I don't know. I mean, and yeah, there are plenty of people who have been excused for their bad behavior and it does oftentimes seem to be, I mean, I'm not, I'm not male bashing, but it, it it does seem to be where it is the men like can do kind of whatever. And then women. And even though I'm not, not, she's not my favorite. I'm going to bring her up. Britney Spears. The issues that she's had, like, with the media scrutiny and with her mental health issues the way we've i mean the media hasn't helped and in that instance and so when she made mistakes like it was just kind of when she's made mistakes it's kind of blown so much more out of proportion than like in when she goes through something the male narrative is taken over and her side of it is diminished i'm kind of seeing that with her and it's she's in such a screwy situation with i know that the conservatorship uh with her father and all of that but again that's that's people manipulating someone in their career i mean it's still there's been a position of power imposed even though she's the one bringing in all this money it's still this power dynamic that's been set up and it's been put there and she doesn't she even has she's been petitioning to even try to get the conservator like even saying like okay fine if it has to be there so be it, but I don't want my father to be the one, yeah. like, because he is abusing this situation. Yeah. And so you're not even giving autonomy to women when they're trying to say, okay, maybe I need assistance with something. Yeah. You're not, you're not giving them a voice. And that goes back to the discussion we were saying earlier about when, okay, well, I don't want to put the seven-year-old through the trial. Oh, we don't want to hear the woman's story here, whatever the case may be.
3: It, oh, she's just getting revenge. Yeah. I appreciate your your points that you're making very much so. And it's, and it's highlighting again and, and again that there's different consequences for different people. And the same can be said, not just for gender, for race, for socioeconomic class. The funniest thing I've ever heard about um, a movie that's made fun of, I know Bo's favorite movie, Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, He loves it. Listen to the pick six on it. You can hear Bo talk about it. But
2: Uh, Fact check. Uh, I do not.
3: (laughs) (laughs) He's lying. He loves it. He actually has a signed copy of the books. Um, I, I remember listening to their great review of it on pick six and they just tear it apart. And I believe it was one of them who said, you know, if this was a dude that was living in a trailer park, it would have never been perceived the way it was. But because he was rich and he was white and he ran a telecommunication business um, and he stalked this woman for months, it was seen as a romanticized version. If it was in a trailer park, it would have been on Criminal Minds. And I think that that just goes to show that there's different consequences for genders, social economic power, race. And then when you combine that with everyone who's in each of those categories having privilege, you almost have like a privilege monsoon that's coming towards victims that are basically, you know, hushed under that. So I think that you made a really good point on illustrating that, Vanessa. I think- Oh, go ahead, Darren. Well,
4: I was gonna say, unless you have something to diverge from that, I think that is a good ending point. Unless somebody had,
0: I just have one last point I want. Please, I'm glad. I mean, to also bring in. I mean, the again, the the racial aspect, because it's you. There's so much even with the movement of the me too movement it wasn't brought to the forefront when it init- when it initially began it initially began by a with a black woman and and you know and that it took a, at least a couple years and the white Cis celebrity, you know, which, I mean, we, we needed, it needed to happen, but it was like, no, it only becomes, you know, in the know when it's, you know, the cis white people talking about it, the cis white woman. And, and there was article, and there was a recently an article uh, that I read uh, where Laverne Cox was talking about how trans women too have been excluded from a lot of the me too conversation
3: yeah
0: um and i I do do think that's important to bring up because i mean do we what are the consequences of jeffrey tambor and how he acted on the set of transparent um and the trans women that came out talking about and you know that talked about their harassment they they experienced because of him. But But also the racial issue where, like with R. Kelly, because so many of his victims, most of his victims were of color, I feel like they were listened to even less. At least that seemed to be the more public narrative And when you put some of these conversions into the public view, it is like that, where it's like, no, we're not going to talk about the people of color, you know, who are experiencing whatever, either racial or sexual abuse that they're experiencing. We might, but, oh, they're a side note, Mm
4: -hmm.
0: you know. We're only going to talk about it when it's this one way and it's, and, you know, and I'm glad you also brought up just, or like I said earlier, the R. Kelly thing, because it is not, it is not only white, you know, straight men who are the offenders in this whole situation.
3: Absolutely. And Vanessa, so, we're lucky as to white women that we're able to be right. here and have this platform. And, Agreed. No, right. I,
0: I know that. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. But I've seen, unfortunately. Yeah. Right. I've seen it in action far too many
3: times. I'm just like, this is such bullshit. <laughs> You're at hundred percent right too, that us as white women get heard. Even then we have barriers, but women of color or women that are indigenous, I'm not sure what uh, you refer to indigenous people to in the United States. And um, here it's indigenous, um, so even less, even less, um, we actually had a, um, separate topic. We had our last prime minister, our current prime minister, one of the platforms he ran on was doing an investigation into the murdered and missing indigenous women. Cause there's a lot and, and there's a lot that's not reported. So it's good when we're able to bring these things to the forefront. Yeah. So you make some very valid points that yes, women of color are women of different ethnic Groups are not even have less of a shot than white women do of being hurt Right. And that has to change. Like, and it's changing slowly but surely. But conversation, this is where we get people thinking about
4: it. Fortunately, my plan worked to get both of you talking the most. And to <laughs> me, just kind of listen, it's like I, I stole a little lesson for myself in here. But, you know, I'm all about having the conversations and. Driving the conversation forward. And I think this was a good one. And I, I, I know everybody's got plenty of wonderful conversations and projects themselves that I hope you will be plugging here very soon. But in all seriousness, I did want to say, you know, thank you for having this, this talk with me today and do an episode 100 right. And have we said enough for now? We can have many more. I am down for this ongoing conversation. Um, You're down to just
3: listening to Vanessa and I, we should be. Here. Yes,
4: exactly. <laughs> Let us put you in
3: our your place.
0: We're gonna have a new show.
4: <laughs> it's coming.
0: I've, I've <laughs> I'm totally my, kidding.
4: I've got my listening ears on and my cup of coffee <laughs> in my cinema psyops mug. I just realized that's a really nice mug. Um. It also it looks very nice on my shelf next to my Legion podcasts mug.
3: Oh, I'm wearing my Legion on podcast brand. shirt. That's what I like. Hey. I my, see my
0: Legion my Legion mug
3: and I just, just, um, because you, use it so much you love it so much, right? That. That's why.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh and also thank you Bo for chiming in fact checking and for facilitating this conversation. Vanessa all of your projects are on Legion podcast as far as I know. So to segue yeah. from there to Heather who has some projects elsewhere. Vanessa, do you have anything that you'd want everybody that's listening live right now or listening later or watching like watching well... something I need to add to the vocabulary?
0: Well, you and I actually will, ha- will be on the fifth anniversary. Ep- well, as of this, I guess when this episode drops, we will have released the People versus Larry Flint episode, and then our upcoming episode in May is our... But fourth anniversary, I can't count <laughs> our fourth anniversary episode, which is a commentary of Blue Velvet. Um, yeah. This year we're actually gonna class up the anniversary commentary.
4: <laughs> no, yeah, we're taking a little bit of a break from the uh the lesser, some people will say lesser works of Stephen King.
0: Yeah, well, I don't know. We had fun with maximum overdrive. I mean.
4: Shoot the yeah. That was a lot of fun. Um, any, anything else before I um, say that is, that is all its
0: moment. And thank you for having me here as always. Even though this is a fucked up crazy topic, I always enjoy being here and, and uh, chatting.
4: Yeah. Maybe we'll do something a little bit more fun next time. Because um, you could still have good talks about fun things or centered around fun things. Right. Um, Heather thank you for coming back also people who don't already know uh where where should they look for you and what should they look from you look for from you
3: look well you can look for from me under the uh kill the cast feed on the legion podcast network subscribe now right Bo?
2: that is absolutely (laughs) correct i was muted sorry
3: Um, I am one half of the team that runs the Friday Nightmares podcast with Scott Crawford, as well as we host a games podcast, which is all games, so card games, board games, video games, role-playing games, whatever games. We talk about them on Controllers Up, Cards Down, the All-Star Gaming podcast, as well as I do a, a piece at the Slumber Party Massacre as well, that you can find on the oh my gosh, I forgot the network that that's on. Anyway, <laughs> you can find it, search Slumber Party Maker, um, and you'll be able to find it on there. I can't remember what it's network that's on. It doesn't matter. Legion's the only network that matters anyway. Dark discussions, but Legion's all that matters anyway. So, and yeah, and that's those are really the three shows that I'm currently doing right now. And I hop on to guest shows occasionally. And I want to just plug the Legion Patreon before we go. Uh, The Legion Patreon is awesome. If you're not already a Patreon yet, please consider joining. Uh, Myself and Scott Crawford release a special episode once a month. Right now, we've been releasing them to Patreon first and then the regular feed, but eventually we won't do that. We have done an awesome commentary with uh, Mr. Bo Ransdell himself, uh, talking about his movie Lost After Dark. We have also done some list movies or lists as well. So talking about lists, for example, top five anthologies. We did that with Mr. Branner Orlick from the Exploding Heads podcast. So if you're not a pay yet, what are you waiting for? It's $3 a month and you get some awesome content as well as Bo really likes Ouija boards like a lot. So he does a lot of Ouija movies that you could check out. And when I two together that were Oscar worthy films, right, Bo?
2: yes uh the the Ouija experiment and the Ouija experiment too are are both uh landmarks of cinema yeah uh Ouija shark also uh incredibly thrilling mm-hmm. and then of course Ouija exorcism coming up this month uh on the Patreon so yeah and that's
4: it for me Darren wonderful and this could be someone's very first time they saw Vanessa and Heather were doing a live stream with some guy on something. This is the Semantic podcast. Uh, Psycho Semantic, You'll find it pretty much everywhere except for on Twitter. It's at political movies because somebody is squatting on that name for some reason, probably because it sounds cool. And uh, also, if this is your first time and we're talking a lot about Legion. I did want to clear something up that I've heard asked about me again, is that I don't only talk with people from Legion. It's just that people from Legion are the most willing to talk to me. <laughs> so I will talk with anybody. Uh, if all we, sometimes, Sometimes we talk a lot about a movie. Sometimes we just sort of talk around a movie. But, yeah. This is, this is another good example of what this show is all about. And so, thank you, everybody. And that is episode 100. Mm. Uh, you know, take, take care of each Congratulations.
3: other. Congratulations.
2: Congratulations. Hey! Happy uh, 100th. <laughs> <laughs> he did what we all must learn to do.
1: You and you and you and you. you. <sighs> yep. Yeah. Cover!